This is the Requiem Metal Podcast, episode 27, Danzig.
Welcome to the Requiem Metal Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Hundy. And I'm Mark Rudolph. And you just heard, of course, Long Way Back from Hell from Glenn Danzig and his Danzig band, uh, which is where we're going to be at tonight. Um, what uh, what what era are we kind of looking at of, of the infamous Danzig? Basically just the Duff American American era. I think it's just probably most would, have, would agree is probably his strongest yeah, releases. The, sort of the quintessential, I guess, early era mm-hmm. before he got into more of the experimental industrial music stuff that he did like on Black Acid Devil and whatever he's done since that I really haven't Circle paid much attention to. And, yeah, he's been on a different label for each one. It's almost been a revolving lineup. Yeah, it's kind of, uh, kind of unfortunate, but uh, Long Way Back from Hell, the, the tune you just heard, comes from the early era of, of Danzig, which we're going to kind of focus on here in the next uh, set or so of music. Uh, it comes from Danzig 2, Lucifage, and that's a personal favorite of yours, isn't it, the, the album itself? Yeah, it was one, it was back in uh, Columbia House, you could basically get Slayer, Metallica, Megadeth, and Danzig, so that's kind of <laughs> where I got my all my Danzig from, and uh, Lucifage was really... It took me a long time to get into that record just because it's so diverse. It's like some really blatantly like I'm the one, the total you know just straight up blues riff. Yeah, it's stuff a, like that. But the the early era of of Danzig is um, it's strange. Mark and I were kind of talking about it. Like it's so different in some ways from it's, it's almost detached from three and four in mm-hmm. a lot of ways, which is partially because you know what you found out was that Rick Rubin produced had a really heavy hand on those first two yeah, uh, Danzig records. I think he saw him, saw Salin, uh or Sam. I prefer Sal Hain. I think Sam Hain sounds cooler, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> whatever. He saw them and he was he kind of like cherry picked uh, this is right when deaf american was starting up and he wanted to have danzig basically be like a, a solo act like really be have his vocals up front and he ended up pulling basically his entire group over from that but uh ruben had more influence on the first two records and i think once if you hear him in, in succession it's pretty obvious mm-hmm. and he was he was way more it's almost like it was uh he was trying to have like a 1950s rockabilly sensibility to the recording. Oh, absolutely. And uh, we'll kind of talk about what the the sound of Danzig in a second. But I guess it should should be known that you know, for those of you who are maybe new to to the whole kind of metal scene, that you know, Glenn Danzig kind of. Uh, earned his stripes, if you will, with with a punk band called the Misfits. You know, which everybody. I mean, in recent times, I think they've been they're a very pale shadow of their former self because it's basically with Jerry only and maybe one other guy. But you know, Danzig was the primary songwriter, and he, I mean, he, they're huge. You know, Metallica is huge fans of them. They've influenced mm-hmm. countless bands. Yeah, and the, you know, with the imagery too. You know, the sort of you know punk songs about you know horror movies zombies and you know yeah. you name it uh green hell last caress and you know just just tons of uh tons of cool stuff but it's almost like you know you and i were talking about like we've gone through our misfits phase everyone kind of has like a moment where they just listen to a lot of misfits for mm-hmm. like a, a period of time well, and that box that came out in what mid 90s or something the, the late the mid to box. late 90s yeah I, I listened i listened to the hell out of that stuff and it, it's just been so over bombarded you know kind of when i was done a lot of other people were kind of coming into it. i was like eh, I'm, i've kind of had my fill of it and then from there he went into to Salhane, which is where he brought most of the members out uh to, to form danzig mm-hmm. and you know glenn danzig is obviously the the vocalist and he's he's sort of known for his kind of crooner style uh mix of you know, kind of Roy Orbison, Jim Jim Morrison, and Elvis. You know, yeah. uh, you know kind of the, the evil Elvis people have called him. I mean, there's there's all kinds of different you know nicknames and things. But I've always thought that Roy Orbison has a, like a weird. I've always had been drawn to his music as well. Like my that was the only band my dad listened to that I liked. But 
just his vocal styles and how uh, how like kind of like eerie and like sad all of his songs were, you know. And there's and there's a darkness to him, in much in the same way that Johnny Cash had that same kind of level yeah. of like edge to him back in like the fifties. All dressed know? in black with his dark sunglasses on, and everything. Yeah. So, and I think it, it's not ironic or not, uh, oh, excuse me, not coincidental that that Glenn Danzig will end up writing songs for both Roy Orbison and uh, Johnny Cash, uh, at least according to some of the information I found. I know Thirteen was covered by Johnny Cash. Okay. Um, on his first record, his first American recordings. Okay, uh, yeah, with Delia's Gone and some of those other tunes. But um, yeah, and you, you said he, you know Danzig himself has sort of quoted uh, Roy Orbison as being his his primary influence vocally. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know you'll you'll hear a lot of that stuff if you're new to Danzig. One of the things that you kind of have to take into into play, especially on the early records, is is some of the over the top singing styles. And you know, it's, there's really no way else it's i mean he, you can you can really hear his influences coming through but the way he kind of when it filters through his lens it's it's really unique and nobody's really tried to like attempt outside of you know making fun of it have really tried to like you know do anything with that vocal style and it in like king diamond in a way there's like this really fine line that he walks on some songs where it, it almost could go into almost self-parody but yeah. he, you know he he usually reins it in but they're dead serious too yeah <laughs> and and that's maybe where like he's so like serious that some people almost kind of have to laugh at that much in the same way that we used to laugh at like a guy like King Diamond like you know with this whole persona oh I remember the first uh, I think one of the first interviews I heard with Danzig I was like man this guy's kind of a, a meathead but he's going he's going through his book collection about you know vampires and he just he has like this high school kind of you know oh this is cool dude mentality about a lot of stuff which yeah is funny I, I mean I love the music but as a personality he's kind of uh He's kind of abrasive. <laughs> yeah, he's he's very odd. He's there's all kinds of controversies thrown at, at, at Danzig himself and the band. You know, was, is he you know a more Satanist and you know, white just, power? Yeah, he's just called the whole Satan thing a lot. But I mean, who you can't really argue with you know the attraction of the the evil imagery. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, on the on Danzig two Lucifuge, the the booklet opens up into a big inverted cross. And yeah. It's like, oh, this is awesome. You know? And a lot of songs, you know, the third record's called How the Gods Kill, and yeah. you know, it's it's a lot of um, you know dark. T- territory that they're taking it and i think maybe the reason that danzig got so much attention is because he wasn't a death metal band singing about this or like an underground black metal band he was fairly well known coming out of the misfits american he had a lot of street cred yeah i mean he, he had that same kind of crossover appeal like you know motorhead would to a lot of like punk bands mm-hmm. punk you know fans or whatever as well so and, it, and it, i think because he was there was more of a spotlight on him and the band because they had a wider audience mm-hmm. he tended to get more in more trouble than you know bands that were probably a lot scarier than Danzig. You I mean, know. He was kind of the only one at that point. I mean, Judas Priest just kind of run their course. Ozzy Osbourne was just kind of a pale shadow of what he was. and I mean, he was the only one like really in mainstream music, I think, that really embraced that whole satanic imagery. Sure. Thing. You know, and I mean, King Diamond you know, enjoyed some popularity for, for a while, but nothing like what, what Danzig, in terms of widespread exposure. You yeah. know, I mean, you think of you know how much play like Mother got you know on mm-hmm. MTV, and I mean, that's immediately going to draw a lot more attention to you, you know, when you're you're kind of well. That was at the peak of like the grunge sure. movement as well, which is kind of weird to actually interject a little bit of like you know heavy metal, hard rock into it. But in a way, like you know, as, as you'll see when we we start talking about this and playing certain songs from different eras, the the stuff that he does on Danzig three and four doesn't fall too far out of uh, what was kind of happening in the early '90s music scene. You know, mm-hmm. so some kind of dark, uh, doomy Alice in Chains kind of elements to some of the songs. So I could see where Mother maybe wasn't so appealing in 1988, like to a wider audience, and then they re- kind of re-released it in 1993, and all of a sudden people glommed onto it. Yeah. Just because it was 
you have that darker edge that grunge always had. Well, I think grunge you know? brought the acceptance of the distorted guitar back in. So yeah, know, bands yeah. like Soundgarden and Nelson Chains and um, I can't even think of anybody else right well, now. Well, obviously Nirvana and oh, you know, sure. stuff like that. But um, but as far as like being like kind of riding the line between the alternative scene and like you know traditional hard rock or mm-hmm. heavy metal or whatever, and certainly bands like Sepultura kind of fit into that groove yeah. too. You know, there were a lot of bands that you know Helmet and a lot mm-hmm. of a lot of acts that kind of use that distorted guitar. Uh, kind of pathway that Nirvana and, and, and Pearl Jam and Soundgarden kind of, you know, blaze this huge path for people to be able to like be accepted playing that kind of style of music. And so mm-hmm. you had edgier acts that were sort of like riding the coattails in a way of like what Soundgarden or Alice in Chains were doing. Sure. And Danzig, Sepultura, some of those were, were kind of part of that. So, but uh, anyways, we're going to kind of focus, like I said, on the, on the early era, which, which again, Mark mentioned, uh, has a more bluesier, uh, it's very classic rock infused in a lot of ways. And there's some things that you'll notice on the first two Danzig records that to me like stand out almost like with kind of the simplicity of like an ACDC uh, kind of riff. Oh yeah. Um, you know the the main guitar player for for Danzig is a guy named John Christ, and he was uh, a you know he's I've read interviews where he talked about how his favorite guitar player was Ted Nugent, and you can hear that kind of simple kind of guitar god kind of late seventies classic hear rock stranglehold thing. over a lot of his yeah. riffs, <laughs> and, and certainly as as much as maybe I don't like Ted Nugent as a lyrical songwriter or even as a compositional or songwriter, his political views, yeah, or his political <laughs> views in, in general, like you know you can't fault the fact that Ted Nugent can play guitar and he yeah. can, he really you know write some great you know riffs and things like that. He's not terribly flashy, and, you know. He's not like the Eddie Van Halen type, which mm-hmm. John Christ isn't like that either. But you know he does you know throw some different things into some of the solos and, and some inflection and uh john christ is really known for for kind of introducing kind of the pinch harmonics you know yeah that was like a huge i mean especially when you go three and four that's really kind of making it's a it. lot of that sort of stuff which you know a lot of the british bands kind of pick up with uh when they're doing sort of their doomier gloomier kind of stuff like my dying bride oh yeah works on the pinch harmonics a yeah. lot and Certainly, it's it's used widespread nowadays. But uh, and then rounding out the band is uh, Chuck Biscuits on drums and Erie Vaughn on bass. On um, Chuck Biscuits in particular, you know, being that you kind of dabble in drums a little bit, he kind of is a is a he's, band favorite for you. Yeah, he's. I mean, just on a, a surface feature, his the way they. Uh, I mean, it's it's all it's all really integrated into his uh, his choices. But he uses the ride symbol a lot, and it's recorded like brilliantly in most of these records just how crisp and everything the thing mm-hmm. is but yeah he was he was one of the early on kind of influences me as far as drumming because it was more after hearing like you know i couldn't play double bass or a lot of this insane stuff but the way he he had a really stripped down but really he really knew what he was doing really had uh, he i don't think anybody really sounds like him either Mm-mm. he's got his own unique kind of voice but because well, he's sort of a mixture of kind of punk and metal in a way because he's coming from more punk background because he played yeah. with circle jerks and black flag and subhumans and stuff and yeah descendants so yeah it's kind of cool that that uh, he made he kind of bridged that gap too because it's when when you think of punk music you think drums is just kind of like a backing down and dirty you know fast rhythm section yeah just driving the song you know but, not doing but the way he lets them breathe mm-hmm. and this it's the recording on I, on all these records is fantastic but the uh, I mean the first one's a little the first one sounds it's a little very faint nowadays you know, yeah it's, yeah it's it, it could probably stand to be remastered but on three and four the drum production guitar production everything is just produced like flawlessly mm-hmm. and there's always one thing about Danzig's music that it always has room to breathe throughout there's never anything that's super super dense. Mm-hmm. So. Absolutely, and, and especially, I think he plays with those atmospherics a lot more, like you said, on three and four, like yeah. those sort of gaps of sound and soft. And letting noise heavy come and, back in, and you know, yeah, like letting distortion, chord, and piano yeah. stuff come back yep. in, and yeah. 
And uh, but but the first stuff we're going to kind of be looking at is is off one and two. And like Mark said, the you know the first record in reflection. Uh, and this is something like you know I used to listen to Danzig one on cassette tape in the car back in high school a lot. Mm. And I bought it on CD, but I didn't really go back. In, in the last 10 years and listen to this first record a lot and so in preparing for the show like you know both Mark and I are kind of listening to it and and there's songs that sort of jump out at you the, like the the kind of huge popular songs like Mother which is everybody's heard so we're not going to play Mother sorry mm-hmm. uh, Twist of Cane which was a Sauhain song which they re-recorded for Danzig you know most people are you know, I've heard Twisted Cane too, and so we're gonna. You know, a lot of this stuff either doesn't hold up as well, or we just sort of decide it because of of focus. You know, and yeah. t- time constraints that you know we're gonna kind of create blasphemy by not really playing a lot off Danzig One, which I know people out there will probably freak out because some people probably worship. You know, oh my oh, God, sure. the first Danzig record. You know, yeah. how could you not play that? But you know, it was sort of a, an executive decision Mark and I decided to make. <laughs> But we are going to play a couple songs off the record. Um, we're going to hear Am I Demon, but not yet, because we, as much as we like this, you know, this song as a whole, it's a, it's a great song. Uh, Mark and I kind of both believe that the, the live version that will come later on Thrall, mm-hmm. uh, Demon Sweat Live, is, is kind of a more energetic version anyways. Yeah. Uh, because again, like like Mark said, this really needs remastering and it needs to be sort of like bumped Probably up. Probably the biggest thing is the sound levels right now compared to you throw on three or four and the sound levels on this are so low. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and so for from that standpoint, it's a good record. It's a good starting place. But once you sort of like, you know, listen to three and four and even two a lot, it's hard to go back to the first one and really appreciate yeah. that. I mean, unless you're like a real kind of classic 70s rock blues kind of fan, because there are those elements that are mm-hmm. there, you know. But parts of it is just him experimenting with this new style. And, and some of the experiments work really well and others don't don't work out so well, in my opinion. You know, song yeah, like, There's a, a lot of Ruben influence on this as well, keeping it stripped down, stripped down, stripped down, because Sawin had more of a sonic mm-hmm. feel, really like thick. Yeah, and, and noisy, and Ruben really wanted that. I mean, he was, I think, almost looking at Glenn Danzig as, "Hey, your vocals could lend itself to like some great, you know, like you said, super group kind of classic." I think rock that's what he was feel. originally trying to do is put together a super group without the the other members there. So yeah, and I feel like there's there's sort of like this disconnect on a lot of the songs where like you could almost the two personalities of Ruben and Danzig are sort of like trying to go in opposite directions, and, and yeah. that kind of hurts some of the songs, you know. Um, you know, a song like She Rides was pretty popular, but it's it's kind of slow and just sort of bluesy. It's not... I don't think it's probably popular in, like, the stripper circuit. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's like a girl's, girl's, girl's kind You of know, thing. Possession sounds like something that could have been off a of Misfits B-side, you mm-hmm. know, but just amped up a little bit more. But, uh, the tune we decided to pick off this that we're going to play, the version from, from this record, is, uh, is End of Time. And the reason uh, we kind of liked it is it had kind of a late 60s sort of creepy... Uh, feel to it and it really almost is predictive of the kind of dynamics between soft and loud that, that will come mm-hmm. uh, especially on three and four yeah uh, and it's it's kind of a neat tune and uh, in particular I kind of like some of the soloing it has a I was mentioning to Mark kind of like the evil brother of like uh, creepy <laughs> evil brother of George Lynch you know thing going for it and then we're going to kind of bust into uh, some of the lucifage stuff which you know from uh, from Mark's perspective this is uh is this probably your favorite record Danzig 2 that's probably the one I listen to the most that's it probably that and four yeah two and four probably four is probably my my favorite probably Real closely followed by three, and then I think two's two's right in two's there. Two's got a lot of comedic stuff, like you know, Killer Wolf was a really odd. You really wanted to play that just uh, to yeah, show up. Just <laughs> I think that was one of the first Danzig videos outside of Mother that I saw, and he's just walking around with his shirt off all the time, and it's just a goofy song. And the way, just how he's singing Killer Wolf, it's like I'm a kangaroo. Yeah, like, I don't know what the hell's wrong with him, but. 
I have like a morbid fascination with that song. So. Yeah, and and, and uh, th- again, it, it's this fine line between kind of camp and and and, and sort of seriousness that Danzig was always sort of war- you know walking in, and some yeah. of the fans I think took some of the stuff as almost like hilarious, and I think Glenn Danzig probably wouldn't find some of the songs hilarious. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so we're gonna kind of uh, go from end of time into some stuff from Lucifage, uh, opening up. Uh, Lucifitch uh, with her black wings, which is probably the most well-known song on this mm-hmm. record, and then closing things out with Devil's Plaything. So uh, enjoy "End of Time" from Danzig One.
Talk of the night, come to me, my bleeding light. See, she comes, she comes now, enter oblivion.
is a flame, a devil's thing, a violent stone about to be born. Just look in these eyes, see all the lies, all these things you see, you cannot deny. This flame that burns inside If you get too close Burn you alive Just look in these eyes And see if they lie All these words I speak Cannot deny
That was Devil's Plaything, Her Black Wings, and End of Time. And uh, Her Black Wings and Devil's Plaything come from Danzig 2, Lucifer. Lucifuge. Lucifuge. The so. refuge that is Lucifer. Oh, is that, is that <laughs> what it is? That's what I'm guessing, uh-huh. but... And uh, Devil's Plaything in particular kind of has some, a lot of interesting musical things kind of happening. It's in it. it's really oddball. It has almost like a harpsichordish uh, intro. It's it's almost like a like a pop version of like a King Diamond song. Yeah, which is you hear so you hear kind of like a pop kind of King Diamond. Whereas like for some reason my sensibilities always go to like late sixties Rolling Stone or something. You know, yeah, like, I can uh, I can see that as well. Um, you know, Paint It Black or something. There's this sort of that that kind of dark element that Rolling Stones always had that made them a little bit darker than a lot of the bands at that time. And, yeah. You know, like, like one of the things that's interesting about Danzig's, you know, songwriting is, you know, unlike a lot of the, the, the bands that we've sort of focused on in, like, Requiem Metal, uh, you know, they're not interjecting themselves into, like, death metal or black metal or power metal or, or doom metal or anything like that. They're, they're sort of just coming out of a standard rock and roll, and it just so happens that, you know, he gets... He, he kind of writes, you know, rock and roll, traditional rock and roll songs, like you said, like mm-hmm. almost like fifties rockabilly yeah. kind of things, but through the scope of like dark, dark metal, you know, yeah, um, dark imagery, and and it's you know the darkness of the lyrics and some of the just the contrast between light and soft, uh, or excuse me, light and dark, kind of uh, loud, soft musics. I mean, there's a lot of contrasting elements. Well, I think in this is kind of the time that it was this when like Chris Isaac was first starting up too. So there's yeah, like w- that kind w- of fifties games, fifties revival kind of thing happening again. So. And it's funny because when you when you hear Danzig singing, if you don't know what he looks like, you wouldn't picture this huge like bodybuilder kind of guy wears like mesh shirts and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You, you said Chris Isaac is kind of the the image that would come to mind. Or Harry Connick Jr. back in the day, kind of. Yeah, image, yeah, yeah. It's it's uh you know so this this sound that they craft in the early years of Danzig is is really kind of. It, it was unique at the time, and I think that's what drew a lot of attention, plus the street cred of being kind of like a Misfits, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the connection of the Misfits and Salhane and stuff. And you even notice at the end of Devil's Play thing that there was sort of some of that sing-song kind yeah, of back and forth. Yeah, the stuff that, yeah, kind of, you know, the woe-woes that, the, you know, the Misfits Whoa. pretty much. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just kind of the so. memorable elements. And again, like, I think that's coming from this, like, 50s or 60s sort of kind of the early era of rock and roll, he's taking the, you know, the songwriting sort of styles are taken, are, you know, directly from with the chorus verse stuff, just the really like, yeah, you know, the traditional songwriting way. And then, but just putting this evil bend on it. Exactly. And he's not afraid to, to do like a really saw, like for devil's play thing, the opener of it, you know, he, he kind of wears his heart on his sleeve. It's almost like ballad esque and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he's not afraid to like, you know, show like a, a beautiful side, if you want to call that to his singing and then bust right into the aggression of that song. So, which is something that in the next set of music and in, in the next record, Danzig three, how the gods kill is, is almost going to be, uh, almost the primary element of that record. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of ways, this, this idea of like kind of soft kind of introductions that have, they're kind of drenched in darkness, but yet they're almost kind of pretty or, or beautiful in mm-hmm. a way. And, and he's like really kind of pouring his heart out in a kind of like a Lovecraftian romantic kind of way. Yeah. And yeah. then all of a sudden it'll kind of kick into the, the metallic elements of the, of the song, you know, and it's, it's really personified, uh, with Danzig three, you know, so he's in a way he's leaving some of the blues elements behind that were really prominent in, in Danzig two and certainly mm-hmm. Danzig one and almost coming into like a new era of, well, of this, songwriting. Yeah. This was uh Rick Rubin on these, uh, on three and four had pretty much no input. He was just executive producer and was kind of, 
pulling back at that point. I'm not sure what else he was focusing on. I can't think of uh, you know, I mean, mid '90s what he was doing. But well, by '91, '92, you know, <clears throat> I mean, he hadn't quite started working with Johnny Cash. I mean, Slayer was almost on hiatus at this point. So yeah. you know, maybe Public Enemy and and some of the other things that he was involved in. It's it could it's, be, yeah. You know, I don't know what Rick Rubin does on a daily basis. He seems kind of like, you know, he's got his own thing going on. And so that's that's probably what he was doing back then. Meditating. Meditating, yeah, being a guru. Uh, the cool, the other cool thing about Danzig 3 is the awesome cover, which really brought them, Geiger cover. Uh, brought them a lot of cool attention. And for some reason, you know, I mean, H.R. Geiger did uh, the Celtic Frost uh, to Megatherion Mega record. Theory, yep. And, you know... In the mid '90s, he almost kind of enjoys a, a Renaissance comeback with the the carcass sculpture on Heartwork, and then the Dancing did, Three. Did he how the Gods Kill. Cover too? That one, I that you're on uh, you're on your own with that one. I don't know. I'm just thinking back to days of working at the record store and just looking through you know record albums and seeing. Could something. be, could be. And for those of you, of course, who are unfamiliar with H.R. Geiger, his designs became kind of the designs for the aliens in the Alien movies. Yes, yeah. and species, and I mean, he, he's got a really recognizable style. And it's, it's cool stuff. You know, if you get a chance to uh, check out his art book, um, I remember. It's kind of funny because it connects to Danzig 3 in a way because Danzig 3 is a record that I listened to a lot with a friend of mine uh, back in high school named named Tweed is what we called him. And his dad was a really big fan of H.R. Geiger and had this huge H.R. Geiger kind of like book. art book. You yeah. got that too? So we used to kind of look at it and be like, whoa, this is, actually, this is kind of creepy, weird Testament stuff. Souls of Black, they're all sitting around the H.R. Geiger table. Oh, is that what it is? Okay, <laughs> yeah. okay. Um, yeah, cool. So, but you know, so H.R. Geiger that that was the early '90s too. That Testament Souls at Black. So yep. he kind of enjoyed a, a little bit of an artistic revival. Well, speaking of the Lovecraftian thing, I think Geiger really draws all of his influence from all that you know Cthulhu mythology stuff mm-hmm. too. So, but uh, three three was the first Danzig I ever heard actually for for me because um, you know in '88 when Mother came out. I mean, I was in third grade so i wasn't watching headbangers ball yet uh not yet i was probably still listening to a lot of poison and bon jovi stuff in uh 88 but um three i got in cassette tape and just immediately took a liking to it and it wasn't uh i i was really wasn't into the single that much dirty black summer that didn't never really did much for me just it's another one of those sleazy kind of repetitive just so kind of boring and stuff but uh i was really interested in songs like you know godless and, and how the gods kill because they had these just just How the different movements. It's almost know? like a yeah, like a another the step up from Devil's Play thing. Mm-hmm. You know, like the the imagery's amped up, the songwriting and structure and everything's kind of amped up on that song as well. And it really just creates, it really paints a picture of of a kind of just a story of some mm-hmm. sort. You know, yeah. something really creepy. You almost picture like a kind of a sacrifice, almost like what they tried to do in Mother. You know, where he's on the table. I think the video was a lot. They, they had a lot of controversy around the video for how the gods kill because of the whole. There's like some nudity, like the the nudity version or whatever. Oh, okay. Remember, See, I don't even know if I've ever seen that. You know? There was a big. I think it's basically just. Uh, it's the same video that was that they showed on TV, but they cut out the the, the boobs or whatever. The, and, the nudity but, stuff. Yeah, the for how the gods kill they had this huge, big embossed. Uh, it's almost like a vac uh, vacuform version of the cover, which is all 3D, which is kind of neat. They had that VHS tape of that and like a couple interviews. Oh, and it had some. Of, yeah, yeah. They probably had the videos for <clears throat> Dirty Black Summer and yeah. some of the other stuff. But uh, so we're gonna hear a trio off this record, Godless, which is the album opener and a really really cool song. It kind of has the uh, the was it the shovel kind of sound that you hear in like Entombed Hollow Man, the ching 
ching. It's, yeah. It almost sounds like they're nailing railroad spikes into someone <laughs> or something. And then uh, Left Hand Black, which is just a really a cool straight, of, straight ahead kind of tune to it. Um, has almost like, again, that late 70s, like ZZ Top kind of thing. Yeah. So there's some other cool, neat things happening here. And then we're going to close things out with How the Gods Kill. And keep your ears out for the pinch harmonics. Yeah, there you go.
That was How the Gods Kill, Left Hand Black and Godless from Danzig 3, How the Gods Kill. And uh, next we're going to get into a personal fave uh, from of you and I because of uh, an album that came out this, what, this last spring? I think it was, that Bonnie Prince Billy record? Yeah, with a acoustic version of Am I Demon, which yeah. is strangely, uh, it seems to translate really well over to that. <laughs> it's, it's almost just as dark, too. Like yeah. it's, it's a really creepy version, and uh, Bonnie Prince Billy is, is Will Oldham, who comes from kind of indie rock circles and kind of dark Appalachian folk rock, if you will. Yeah, and, from Palace and all yeah, that stuff. So. Kind of you know, low-wave, or lo-fi kind of stuff, and Catatonia is really into them, a lot of kind of mm-hmm. bands that like kind of deal in the darkness stuff, but yeah, Am I Demon uh, it was a really hip cover, and I think <laughs> down the road we're, we're thinking of doing the kind of a, a cover show. He's something. done some pretty good. He did like a the good PJ cover or PJ Harvey PJ cover. Harvey cover off of. Um, oh, I can. It's got a cat on the front of the record. I can't think of what that one's called. It, it There's was, like a Tim McGraw cover on there that's really good too, which yeah. is surprising. Yeah, I mean he can take anything and kind of turn it into yeah something interesting. So if you're a hardcore Danzig fan, it's it's worth seeking out that Bonnie Prince Billy record mm-hmm. just to hear him do the Am I Demon. And I, I can't recall what the what's the name of that Bonnie Prince Billy one was. Can you think? The nose one. Yeah. Well, while Mark's sort of looking, uh, so we're we're going to be going into um, the live version of Am I Demon, and in between uh, Danzig three and four, they put out an EP, and. This is sort of a remarkable time in the history of Danzig because when they put out Thrall, Demon Sweat Live, this kind of became a, uh, this is when they put out the the live version of Mother. And that in particular kind of brought them a new new audience in a way. I mean, I remember I was in high school or just about to go into high school when Mm -hmm. that, that Mother video came out. And I mean... That thing was everywhere. I yeah. mean, I can almost like close my eyes and just remember him with his shirt off, kind of high five, super sweaty, people, like and, shaking his head around. Yeah, exactly, high fiving audience members in the pit and all that I stuff. I think just and, having it be a live video too, like showed how much. I think that's probably what you know. That's what Rick Rubin had mentioned that the stage presence that that, that he had. had was like unreal. And mm-hmm. Those those videos from that era really kind of personified that. And um, you you found out it's Ask Forgiveness, the mm-hmm. Body Prince Billy record that that were. Uh, that has the Am I Demon cover. It also has a cool um, I've Seen It All cover, which is Bjork and Tom mm-hmm. York from Radiohead duet. So, not on the Bonnie Prince Philly, but yeah, it's the cover. So, anyways, I digress. Uh, back to Thrall. Uh, this this was maybe um, the first CD we got. I remember Grindcore Coon, who you've heard on some of these shows, picked this up used. And uh, the cover in particular is really cool because we were big comic book Simon fans. Simon Bisley. And it was Simon Bisley who did Judge Dredd and he did some of the Lobo stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, who back when I was in eighth grade, Lobo was like a huge character. You know, I mean, he was like the Wolverine of he's DC like the, or he's something. He was the anti hero of yeah, DC. Punisher yeah. or something like yeah. that. But uh, it, so it really kind of drew you out with this this cool cover, and it features the the Danzig skull, which is sort of the, the logo of, of Danzig in a way. On some kind of cave woman kind of thing. I yeah. Mean, it almost looks like some of uh, the Frazetta. And, it reminds um, me of Joe Kubert stuff, too. Yeah, it does, definitely has a heavy Frazetta vibe. I mean, even the guy that she's killing looks like the Death Dealer character. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, this EP ended up doing, like I said, wonders for Danzig's career and almost sort of sent them into the stratosphere in terms of being widely recognized by so many people, namely because of Mother. But uh, besides the live songs, which we're going to hear a live version of Am I Demon in a second, it also had uh, a couple of really cool um, original tunes. Yeah. It's coming down in the, uh, the Violet Fire, which we'll hear Violet Fire as well, but also featured Trouble, which was a Elvis cover, if I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken. And, you know, again, this evil Elvis 
persona that like people kind of threw at him because of his crooning vocals and stuff. I mean, it's almost like he's living up to it by saying, "All right, I'm just going to cover an Elvis song and yeah. you know show you how to do it." And uh, I mean, I don't know. Trouble's an all right song. You know, it's not yeah. one of my favorites, but you know, in terms of cover songs, it, it works out pretty <laughs> well for him. But uh, do you, you know any thoughts about this era for for That's, you guys? I never owned that record actually, so that I just picked it up a couple years ago. I was super familiar with you know all the live versions and of course the mother video and all that. But now is that because because you know this comes out in '93, How the Gods Kill was put out in '92, and then th- you know, Thrall comes out in '93. I mean, is that because you guys were more kind of into the the death metal stuff at this point? Were you kind of so. not paying much attention? Well, I, I was always Danzig was always on my radar because that, that was a good crossover band for a lot of people. So. If, I still wanted to have my, you know, my metal injection or whatever. I could still. You could play it in the car. I could play people that. Riding around. Yeah, people yeah. kind of got into it, and there's a, like a comedic factor that you know the people could get into it as well. But I just don't think I ever picked it up because I think that at that point I was no longer in the you know the Columbia House CD mail away thing. That's how I got a lot of this you know more mainstream yeah, you, stuff. And if you guys probably weren't getting you know solicit it from Columbia, you know, in terms of when you guys were doing the Requiem stuff. Oh, no, and this was on, this was on American, wasn't oh, it? Oh, yeah, American, yeah. Yeah, we but, definitely weren't getting serviced by them. The only, the first one I got serviced was Black Ass the Devil on Hollywood Records. Yay! <laughs> yeah, which sucked. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's a cool EP, and it's kind of this in-between, and it kind of just, again, is an extension, really, of, of Danzig 3 and Danzig 4. It kind of fits those two albums together. Mm-hmm. And in particular, The Violet Fire, which we'll hear here, has probably one of the, the better John Christ solos, I'd say. I mean, he really kind mm-hmm. of plays his heart out here. It's almost kind of a spotlight. And I think Glenn Danzig plays a solo on Violent Fire as well. Like, mm-hmm. I think it's him and Christ playing together, which, okay. which I think is what gives it more of, like, the... Uh, it doesn't really say, does it? But it gives it kind of more of the amped-up feel um, where the guitars take a more kind of forward um, kind of way. Let me see. Thickens it up a little bit. Yeah, it really kind of thickens recordings. it up and stuff. I, I swear, it doesn't say on here, but I, I remember reading somewhere that Glenn Danzig plays one of the guitar solos on, or, or helps play some, some of the solo on uh, the Thrall songs. Yeah, because was, he was always, any interviews I've, I've read, they're mostly older ones, but like all the Misfits music, he, he played all that on piano, and it's basically just one or two keys to kind of get it get it going but uh i know he does do all the keyboard stuff on any of the danzig records was yeah. all played by glenn danzig as well yeah. so um and which the keyboards will almost come come into the more of the danzig four stuff where it was mm-hmm. more atmospheric and things like that so but uh and then we're gonna close things out with bringer of death from danzig four which will open up our danzig four set so enjoy mi demon live violent fire and bringer death
heard Bringer of Death, Violet Fire, and Am I Demon Live. And Bringer of Death comes from uh, my favorite record and one of your favorites, mm-hmm. one of your kind of top two, uh, Danzig 4, um, or 4P, which is supposedly some symbol of uh, the devil or something like that. I, I oh, remember yeah? reading. Yeah, it's some kind of runic. The, yeah, because all the runic, that's just says Danzig. And- Danzig, yeah. And some kind of ancient Germanic, uh, I don't text or something like yeah. that. Uh, this is also the, one of the most stolen records of all time. We just happen to be Given reading up yeah, on it. It's a slimline uh, digipack that really wouldn't fit in like the plastic elf cases they used to have in stores. And so you used to just be kind of sitting on the shelf, and you could kind of yeah. I actually bought this on, swipe um, over at White Earp Records. We, we talked about kind of with the repulsion nausea, connection. Yeah, the yeah. repulsion connection. I picked that up on vinyl over there in '94 in because I don't think they had the CDs. Yeah. <laughs> it got stolen. So. This this record um, to me is it's the most diverse Danzig record. It's the it has this perfect blend of the bluesy elements from one and two, mm-hmm. the soft loud elements of Danzig three, and he's also adding in some more um, not just atmospherics, but he's also adding in some more like industrial experimental kind of things. Yeah. Yeah. Like can't speak for instance, which I never knew. And I mean, I've been listening to this record forever. Can't speak. The guitar lines is the guitar parts from let it be captured played backwards. backwards. (laughs) You know? And I mean, I never knew that. And there's some efficiency. There's some really cool, like production things you're going to hear when we hear, uh, until you call in the dark where, where you said it sounds like they turned all the, uh, the gains. Yeah. It just sounds like the gain, like everything's peaking all the levels or something. Yeah. It's, it's so like utterly distorted, but then it kind of comes out of that and clear channels and it's like almost like magical. It almost sounds like your ears are popping. And this is one completely produced by Danzig, too, which mm-hmm. I don't know if he's gone on to produce any of their records, but, man, he's... He's spot on with yeah, this. Yeah, he's got some good chops. And, and this uh, is probably the the one Danzig record I think works as best as a whole. Exactly. The it's, whole record all the way through it, just how it ebbs and flows from song to song really works. To me, they're really connected. And, I mean, a lot of the, the, the theme of, of a lot of the song titles and a lot of the songs have to do with kind of... Um, there's almost a sadomasochistic element to it, you know. With it's little... kind of bringing it back more to real life outside of this fantastical mm-hmm. stuff he's been talking Absolutely. about. Absolutely, you know, stalker song, little whip, dominion, uh, sadistical. I mean, they're all like songs about like sort of dominating, you know, someone mm-hmm. and like kind of like taking them over in a way. Which you know, he talked about possession, but he talked about it more in like kind of a, you know, Vincent Price way. <laughs> yeah, Vincent Price, yeah, exactly, like a horror movie kind of way. But this this is a, a very serious record in many ways, and. Uh, kind of the last great record from the the Danzig era. Oh, um, to bring in the comic book thing again, Michael Kaluta does some pretty uh, nice illustrations. Really beautiful illustrations. And actually, Danzig has a underground comic imprint. That he, I remember that. That he I has too. That. Which, yeah, take your leave. It's 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 okay, but yeah, you know, at least he kind of supports the the comic book scene to some yeah, degree. Which you know, Mark is a, a big purveyor into as well as myself as a fan. But uh, Danzig 4 just, you know, there's a lot of different things happening on some of these songs that we're going to be hearing. Going Down to Die in particular, you had some, uh, the the guitar solo in it is is pretty fantastical. And then... Um, yeah, and the the tone of the ride cymbal is just, you know, butter. I, I love that. Which is, you know, what you, we just heard Bringer of Death, which you, you said is some of the best drumming kind of stuff that yeah uh, just like stripped down just i don't know he, he's managed to capture the atmosphere and the whole rhythm section of danzig's like super solid Erie Vaughn never is really popped up much in the bass he's the, he's the bobby doll uh, as he said. he's the, the bobby doll of bass players it's the do 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 you know the unskinny bop kind of mm-hmm. kind of bass playing but it works with music They're, they don't need to have real thrilly you know frilly uh, bass kind of stuff going on because christ 
and Danzig kind of you know lead the way on the rest. And of then it. Chuck Biss that's doing some of these really kind of tasteful elements to sort of accentuate a lot of the songs too. I think yeah, you know, on the sure. drums. But uh, these, you know, this is a this was a tough record to pick songs from because there's probably six or seven songs in, you know that we mm-hmm. could have easily thrown out. You know, I'm a really big fan of Stalker song, but we just didn't have room for it. But um, the three that we are going to play are Going Down to Die, Until You Call in the Dark, which was a single. Um, I remember getting a lot of like radio play and stuff. I don't know if I don't think there was a video put out for it. I know there was a video for Can't Speak, and I think um, not Son of the Morning Star. I think I don't mind the pain. Yeah. Again, another. Sadomistical, kind of uh, yeah. sadomasochistic element. I don't mind the pain, <laughs> but uh, the the video for "Can't Speak" was actually pretty pretty popular. I mean, I was up there with Mother in terms of getting a lot of airplay. All, but... I, I remember there was like some like weird thing where like he there's like a weird like tornado, almost like a uh, Sandman villain from Spider Man kind of <laughs> element where he, he kind of turned into all these particles or something and like re. Was it was a lot of like the refrain, just like a close up camera, just on on the silhouette of his face singing I'm, or something? I mean, I'm I'm thinking about a, a video probably, probably haven't seen in 14 years or so, okay. so it's it's hard for me to do a total recall. Because a lot of his it. his videos are really tastefully done, a lot of black and white. You know, this one wasn't black and white, but it had a, almost an, a nine inch nails sort of like um, tone to it, where it was dull. Like you know how like uh, the Matrix when they're in, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, just like everything was like grayish and kind of like brownish. There wasn't like kind of a lot of color, yeah, yeah, a lot of washed out kind of feel to it. But anyhow, uh, until you call in the dark has, has always been one of my favorite tunes. And then we're gonna end things here with Dominion.
Dominion, Until You Call in the Dark, and Going Down to Die, which is uh, kind of bringing things to a close here before our, our final Danzig song. So uh, we hope you've enjoyed uh, some Danzig, and I'm sure there are probably some of the more popular tunes like Twist the Cane and Mother that you know, you're probably pissed off that we didn't play, but yeah. it's all right. You know those songs already, so you wanted to hear different stuff. I know you did secretly. <laughs> But uh, let us know what you thought. You know, if you're new to Danzig, you know, tell us uh, which of these kind of eras you kind of preferred from a musical standpoint. And, uh, you know, if we missed anything or if there's, you know, just any feedback whatsoever about yeah, any of the just shows. Yeah, email at uh, requiempodcast at gmail.com. So um, the last thing we're going to play is a personal favorite of Mark's. Yes. And, uh, one you wanted to make sure we got in here. So oh, yeah. Tell us a little bit Blood about and it. Blood and Tears. Uh, as soon as you hear this, it's, it reminds me of, uh, I remember seeing on PBS as a kid, 
Elvis Aloha from Hawaii, like his last TV performance, where he's just he's all bloated, he's sweating, and using silk scarves all the time. <laughs> and anytime I I hear uh, blood and the tears, seventies, I just I picture Danzig, you know, sweating with a silk scarf, throwing flowers to the audience. This is his it, final farewell. Yeah, it has that kind of like epicness of like an, an Elvis seventies performance, you know. Yeah, and this is definitely one where where we find kind of probably more humor in it than maybe Danzig does, but it's still a good song. It just it's just. Uh, it's yeah, it's not something you're, you're fist pumping to, but it's uh, I don't know. It just it it's fits. very musical. You yeah, know? I mean vocally, it's pretty powerful, and, and there's some. And just with uh, I mean, it's like if, if Elvis was talking about stuff that I related to. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Instead of you know vacationing in Hawaii, yeah. you know it's and about darkness and Jill blood Austin and tears and, and stuff like stuff. that. So, anyways, we hope you enjoy blood and tears. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the Danzig show, and uh, keep tuning in to Requiem Metal podcast here. So. For Jason and Mark, keep on meddling. Blood and tears, blood and tears. Since you've been gone, I hear you been crying. All alone in your misery, so alone. Could you have been the sea since I've been gone? I hear you been crying. You cried a thousand tears, darling. Don't despair. I know your heart's a bleed, darling. Don't you care? Oh,
blood and sea. Blood 